Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's good to be here and uh, it's good to um, see some old faces, but of course it's good to see some new ones. That is church. And uh, thank you, Jared, for the welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to share uh, the word for a little time tonight. Thanks to Pastor Stephen and uh, just all that God's doing in uh, Arena uh, Mansfield. On the very first uh, service of Arena Mansfield, which was in Field Mill, I was there. Um, it uh, sounds like Matt Boyce, but, um, but uh, Christian uh, and myself, in terms of working together with the leadership team uh, out of uh, a journey of uh, a, a small group of people, as you know, at the Balter Street Fellowship, Uh, went on this repurposing journey which has uh, gone on now for a number of years that brings us to occasions like tonight and it's just great to be here. Over the last 18 months I've been on secondment in terms of, uh, uh, it was a bit of a left field call, um, but Sharon and me have been pastoring a church in the south side of Manchester uh, that's had a wonderfully historic past. It was the biggest uh, church in the city for many years uh, but it's sort of gone on harder times, and uh, by God's grace, we've uh, just been able to bring a little bit of repurpose and uh, set in a new pastor last week, which was our last Sunday. It, is, it was truly an international church of 20 nations, and uh, it was a little bit of a precursor of Revelation, where every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will gather around the throne. Uh, so it's good to be here tonight, and it's good to be able to bring the word for a few moments and uh, if you've got a Bible or however you access a Bible or you've got a proper one like me or whether I'm, I'm even reading the Bible on my phone now. I mean, you know, I'm just growing all the time in God. And, uh, and uh, but however you access your Bible, I just want to read one verse to you. It's 1 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, I, I, I want to just save a little bit of time. So I'll read a verse and then give a little context and uh, then I'll just move into the message, which, as Jared's or and Nathan have already set up, um, is, is going to be centred clearly around why we've gathered on this Good Friday evening. So here's the Apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Spirit, writing to Corinthians, Corinth, one of the significant cities of the New Testament. Uh, a church had been birthed, a lot of issues, uh, a lot of things that needed to be uh, addressed it, uh, but but right at the beginning of the book, Paul homes in on the cross, and he says in verse eighteen, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." And two thousand years later, nothing's changed because the message of the cross today to many people that maybe have been at Emda or Ikea, or tonight I got held up in a queue because they're going to the pictures. It seems foolishness. But to those of us that have been impacted by the power of the cross, it is the power of God. And tonight, if you've never been impacted by the cross, tonight's the night. And for those of us that have been to many Good Friday services, I just want to encourage you over the next few minutes to be touched again by the power of the cross. In that particular passage, Paul is addressing Jews and Greeks. He's addressing their religiousness, their human wisdom, 
the fact that they're looking for the answers in their own efforts. And here's a man that was very, very academic in his background, an incredible scholarly education. But the reality is that on that Damascus road in Acts 9, he was impacted by the power of the cross and he never shifted from it. He says that I come to you in weakness and trembling, but I come reliant on the power of God. So the title for the message tonight, and I'll seek to explain this word in a moment or two, is the title is cataclysmic, cataclysmic. Um, There's no second thoughts about tonight in terms of preparing the message. It centers around the cross of Jesus. Quietly this morning, as I was just praying and thinking and uh, pondering about tonight, I realized that everything I've done in my life since being a young boy, giving my life to Christ and being called to the ministry has been shaped by the cross. And I'm thankful for that. And we're going to get to resurrection on Sunday, but to process resurrection, you have to go through crucifixion. If you want life, you have to absorb the fact that somebody died for you and to give your life over to him. Leon Morris, a Bible preacher, says Christianity is a religion about a cross. It centers upon him. And uh, as Christians, we unashamedly and unapologetically uh, run to the power of the cross in this day. In fact, um, sometimes people say we make too much of it. My contention is, friends, that we make too little of it. And tonight, I just want to uh, give you some reasons why, again, we need to make much of the cross. That word cataclysmic means a violent upheaval. Often it's used to describe weather patterns, storms, floods, deluges. We had a cataclysmic snowstorm the other week. Sharon and me never nearly got stuck in it coming down that A6 from Manchester on a Tuesday night. Whoa, it was scary, but we made it. And uh, you can understand why people sort of get trapped in their cars for a night. But it came in, the beast from the east. I have to say that uh, when weather forecast people have forecast snow, sometimes I'm saying, yeah, right. Because <laughs> it never seems to happen. But it happened this time. It was a violent upheaval. Things happened. My ball, it broke down. British gas went missing for two days. Maybe you try to get hold of them as well. They've redeemed themselves in recent days, I have to say. And cataclysmic is often a metaphor for significant change. You see, when you become a Christian, something cataclysmic changes in your life. You come out of darkness into light. You come out of death into life. You leave your old life behind and come into a new life. Something changes forever. But with respect to the cross, it's more than just a sin issue. We understand that sin That is missing the mark, being far from God. And we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. We understand that it spoils us. We understand it stains our lives. We understand it separates us from the Lord. Somebody wrote in an Easter hymn, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He, Jesus, is the one that could only unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. But the cross is far more than dealing with the sin issue. The cross ushered in a new order. The cross brought in a new day. The cross brought in an upheaval to history. The cross brought a significant change. And in the moments we've got, I'm going to give you seven things 
that the cross brought. Don't worry, I'm going to bullet point them and then I'm going to give you just a little story to finish off. First thing is that the cross brought in a new covenant. And as Jared led us tonight, he reminded us that Jesus broke bread with his disciples. And one of the things that Jesus said in what is known as the Last Supper, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. That word covenant speaks of an agreement. It speaks of a contract that's initiated by God and paid for by God. He's entered in an agreement with us, friends, and the wonderful news of the gospel is that you don't have to pay anything. You see, some, some of you will know that when you've got involved sometimes in maybe buying a house, sometimes that old language of covenant will still be used. You pay something, somebody else pays something, the contracts come together and you get the forward move into moving into the house that you've planned to purchase. But it doesn't work like that with God because God realised that we had nothing to offer. There was no payment we could pay. Religion's not going to do it. Good works is not going to do it. Coming to church is not going, going to do it. Curling yourself up in a ball and trying to be good is not going to do it. He initiated and paid for the covenant through his shed blood on the cross. And we're into a new agreement. That new agreement is not exterior religion, it's interior heart. That new covenant is not now a nation ethnically, but a holy nation of all tribes, tongues and peoples. That new covenant is not perpetuated by many sacrifices of the Old Testament, a shadow, but of one sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 12 says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the God, having offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And tonight, I encourage you to live in the power of the new covenant because it's amazing. And then there's a new community. It's called the church. The church, friends, is meant to be community. It's meant to be community like nothing else in the earth. There's a story of a Bible college student that was uh, in a class one day. It was an afternoon. It was hot. He was beginning to daydream until all of a sudden he was gripped by the lecturer in front of him who began to describe the New Testament church. In fact, he began to describe, Jared, what you read from Acts 2.42, where the people devoted themselves to breaking of bread, to prayer, to teaching and fellowship. They had community, even though they didn't have a building. They didn't have a building for 300 years. But they gathered, they met, they worshipped, they prayed, they encouraged each other. And this pastor uh, who, or pastor in training, was gripped by the words that he heard. He said in a book that he wrote, suddenly there were tears in my eyes and a responsive chord rising up in my soul. Where I wondered had that beauty gone? Why was the power not evident in contemporary churches? Would the Christian community ever see that potential realised again? He went on to say that since that day, I've been held hostage to the powerful picture of the Acts 2 community. Today, that, that uh, pastor in training leads a church in another part of the world that gathers 25,000 people every Sunday because something gripped him about community. If you're in the Christian church, friends, you're not meant to be on your own. You're not meant to live in isolation. You're not meant just to row your own boat. We are in this together and the cross pulls us together three we've got a new certainty 
There's no advocacy here from this person for arrogance and belligerence. But we do, in an uncertain world, friends, need to live with assurance. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, his son in the faith, I know in whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed against him until that day. And I ask you the question tonight, do you know in whom you've believed? Not you think you know, or you might know, or you know. God wants you to be sure. He wants you to be absolutely sure in whom you believe. He wants through the cross tonight to bring you a new certainty. Number four, a new commandment. Because Jesus said in John 13, that a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Now in the Old Testament, God had encouraged people to express love to each other. But that word new in the, in the original language of the New Testament is not only speaking about time, it's speaking about quality. And Jesus began to lift the bar of what it meant to love one another. You can only do it through the power of the cross. And God's call to us tonight in terms of that newness of love is to express His love. Those of you that have been around church for a number of years will no doubt have heard a preacher on occasions describe the different words in the original language of the New Testament, New Testament Greek, marketplace Greek, that are only defined by one word in our language, love. There's, there's filio love that speaks of friendship. There's eros, eros love that speaks of intimacy. There's storge love that speaks of, um, of uh, love within a family. And then, of course, there's what we call agape love. Agape love rests in the will. Agape love is what is going to be confessed next week with Nathan and Joanna as they get wed when Christian reads out certain vows and they say, I will. Now, there's many times when they'll feel it, but there's other times they won't. There's times when, it, 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 you know, but it rests in the will. And tonight God calls us to love one another, not just with a love that passes on the winds, but a love that is deeply rooted in our will. The Bible says that when we express that sort of love, it validates our Christian discipleship. Because by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Number five, the cross brings us into a new calling. Jesus on a number of occasions in Matthew's gospel, in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus came to a people weighed down by oppressive rule, religious burdens, weighed down. Uh, the people thought that he was going to become a political leader, somebody that would stir things up. But he brought an altogether different message. It was the message of the kingdom of God. He signposted people to the way to live under the rule of Jesus in their life. And in those chapters of Matthew 5, 6 and 7, he spoke about purpose and priority. He spoke about integrity. He spoke about purity of heart. These things, friends, are totally impossible in our own efforts. It doesn't mean that there aren't people outside of Jesus that aren't good. But, it, 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 but what it's, it's reflecting to us, that it's impossible for us to live the standards of Jesus in our own efforts. They're too high, they're too great, they're too laudable, they're too lofty. But Jesus says that if you receive me into your life, 
If you let me be your Lord, if you receive the kingdom, which is King Jesus sitting on the throne of your life, you, through the power of the cross, can respond to this new calling that reflects Jesus in every area of your life. Number six, there's a new commitment. In Luke's gospel, chapter six, Jesus said to people, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? The reason he said that is because he's speaking of a complete contradiction. Lordship means master. Lordship means kingship. Lordship means owner. You cannot say Jesus is Lord and then not do what he says. It's a contradiction of lordship. I'll say it carefully, but many Western Christians think that that's the way to live. They can put the first revelation of salvation, they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they never engage with lordship. Jesus, you can say whatever you want to my life and the answer is yes. But the cross calls us to that new, new commitment. In Luke 3 and verse 9, Jesus writes about the axe being laid to the root of the tree. And in the original language, it's where the word radical emerges from. Now, I'm so sad that the word radical has been hijacked by the media and has been attributed to religious extremists and fanatics that get involved in all sorts of things that don't reflect the kingdom of God. We hear people being, saying they're being radicalized. It's always used in a negative way. But I want you to be reminded tonight that God has called you. I'm going to say this very carefully. God has called us, friends, through the power of the cross to a radical pursuit of following Jesus. It means that we put him first. It means that we follow his ways. It means that we implement his word. Here's what Arthur Wallace, a great Christian leader of another time, says. He says, true radicalism is a product of the cross. It becomes the axe laid to the roots of all that is in us that is not of Christ. Number seven, the cross causes to a new course. When Jesus had died on the cross, he rose the third day and then for 40 days through many infallible proofs, he showed himself alive to his disciples. On one occasion, one and two, sometimes 11 and 12. And on one occasion, 500. Many infallible proofs. And at the end of the gospels, particularly at the end of Matthew 28, what we know as the Great Commission, Jesus said to the disciples, wait for the power of the Spirit and then go into all the worlds and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. In other words, he gave us a cause to live for, a mandate to work out in our lives. I was reading recently that only 2% of the Christian population are actually in what we would call full-time vocational ministry. Full-time ministry doesn't make anybody better than anybody else. It's just working out a specific call that concentrates with privilege on being able to lead the people of God. I thought about the 98%. I thought about the guy on the building site in the freezing weather recently that's a Christian. I thought about the lady in the hospital that's a nurse with that queue that never seems to get any smaller. I thought about the guy under the cosh with sales figures. I thought about the teacher trying to handle a rebellious class. I thought about the mum running the school run. And so it went on. I thought about the senior citizen whose working days are behind them. I thought of all these people that still have an opportunity to live in the power of the cause 
because you reach people, you speak to people, you talk to people, you engage with people, you socialize with people, you friend people that I never will. And God can use you in the power of the course to bring them to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank God, friends, it's not a lost course. It's a winning one. And we bless the Lord for that. I want to close with a story. Some of you may have seen on the news yesterday that uh, the French nation paid tribute to a very brave man who gave his life last week. There was a terrorist attack in the southern French city of Trebes. And uh, sadly, because we read of so many of these events nowadays, we've been somehow accustomed to their dreadful happenings fueled by warped ideologies and we just almost pass it by but what developed from this particular incident as a supermarket came under siege and panic spread was the remarkable selfless act of one of the first arriving gendarmes lieutenant colonel arnaud beltram and some of you may have read that he volunteered to enter the building to replace a female hostage. He left his phone on live so that his fellow officers could hear what was taking place. And he realised, of course, that he almost certainly set himself up for a very, very difficult next period of time. Sadly, the officer paid the ultimate price because before his colleagues could effect a rescue, the terrorist had shot him. And he laid his life down for the one who he replaced. What has emerged since is that Lieutenant Colonel Bertrand was not only motivated on that faithful day by his call of duty as a French police officer, but also his Christian faith. The story goes that in his formative years, he had no thought of God. But in 2008, he expressed in quotes, a genuine conversion experience. Father Dominic Ars, the National chaplain of the Gendarmerie of France is quoted as saying this week that the fact that Arnaud Beltram did not hide his faith, he radiated it and bore witness to it. We can say that this act of self-offering is consistent with what he believed. He served his country to the end and he bore witness to his faith to the very end. On this Good Friday evening as we Centre around the cross of Jesus. The poignancy of that incredible sacrifice for one is not lost on us. As we look at the greatest sacrifice of selfless love that ever took place. God looking on a world that was held hostage by wrong and brokenness and shortcoming and failure. And initiating the answer in Jesus. And he gave everything that we may go free. And so we salute the actions of a brave gendarme that saved one. But as I close, friends, I want to turn our attention again to the saviour of the world that gave his life for all of us. And tonight, it's still foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those that believe, it's the power of God. It brings us into a new agreement with Jesus, the covenant. It causes us to join a new community, which is the church of Jesus Christ. It enables us not to be unsure of what we believe but certain it means that we can rise to the fresh command of loving one another and showing our discipleship that we understand there's a calling that doesn't bear us down with burden but liberates us to live the kingdom that we raise to a new commitment 
that comes under the leadership and mastership of Jesus and that we impact people by living for the cause. In 1707, Isaac Watts wrote a hymn. He was a hymn writer, Christian hymn writer, and somebody asked him to write a hymn for a Good Friday break in a bread service. Charles Wesley wrote 5,000 hymns and said, I would have given up the privilege of writing all those hymns if I could have written that one. And the last verse says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank God for the cross. Let's pray.